Welcome to Two Girls Talking Trash, a food waste podcast with Hope and Kat. Hello, and welcome to Two Girls Talking Trash. We're a food waste podcast. I'm Kat. And I'm Hope. And on today's episode, we're talking all about food banks. You know, Um, the pioneers of food rescue. Yes, that's exactly who they are, what they are. Uh, it's funny because I think people don't think of them when they think of food uh, rescue or food recovery, but they started it all. They started it all and they're doing a lot of work, like a ton of work in this space. I think even before people didn't even really know, a lot of people didn't even really know what a food bank is. I think there's been a lot of exposure to food banks in the last year, particularly due to COVID, because their operations in many cases tripled due to the demand for food assistance, since unfortunately so many folks were unemployed during that time. And so I think just really wanted to put a spotlight on uh, food banks in the food rescue space because they do a lot of important work and often they're doing this all for free or for very little funding um, because you know they are a nonprofit, which is fine, but they're doing a, a waste service for many of these organizations and we just want to share share a little bit about them. But before we dive into the food rescue pieces, like more in depth, uh, I wanted to just give a little bit of background on food banking. And so the concept was um, developed by John Van Hengel, uh, who was in Phoenix, Arizona in the late 1960s. So pretty recent still that food banking has become um, a, a business model. Uh, And so he was a retired businessman and had begun volunteering at a soup kitchen and to try to find food to serve their neighbors um, that were facing hunger. And one day he happened to meet a mother who had been rummaging through grocery store garbage bins uh, to find food for her children because she didn't know where else to turn. And she actually suggested that there should be a place where instead of the food being thrown out, it could be stored for people to pick up, similar to the way banks store money for future use. And with that, Van Hengel said, what? We could do that. And started a food bank. It really shows that freegans are the great minds of this world. Um, And so fast forward to 2021, uh, food banking is a very large industry. the organization Feeding America is a national network of over 200 food banks that span the country. And all of these food banks are doing some form of food rescue, some at a much higher rate, some at a smaller rate, um, but then are serving their communities through um, food distribution. And in 2020, the Feeding American Network uh, and their partners rescued over 4 billion pounds of groceries. And that includes more than 1.8 billion pounds of fresh produce. Wow. Uh, Almost they, half. Right? Yeah. And a, a lot of the misconceptions around food rescue, particularly in the food banking space, is that it's, you know, they're um, serving, you know, pastries or cookies, cakes, things that are unhealthy for the communities. But it's actually, as you see here, nearly half of produce. And then a lot of times the most common items that follow produce are dairy products or meat or dry staples. Those are kind of the three that I've always seen to be the next ones. And bakery is actually pretty small um, because 
bakery managers are really in tune because they're baking their product in-house. So they're very in tune to how much they're baking. And I think in some regards, they try to do do a little bit better because it's in-store product versus where you're bringing in food. It's a little bit different. Not saying that other department managers aren't as in tune to their product. It's just a different uh, mindset since it's in-house and someone's like physically handling food uh, in the bakery department. And again, you're proud that's just, of your work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just what I've seen from, from my time in, in food rescue. But yeah, so the food goes to communities that are facing hunger in addition to food that food banks get from like USDA and uh, farming. They also get uh, donations from larger organizations beyond the retailers. So manufacturers or distribution centers and farms, as I just said. Um, and, you know, that way it's, it's going to communities. It's not being wasted and it offers, you know, the food banks an opportunity to provide a second life to food that um, was once unaccessible to many of these communities. Do we think this is the solution to food insecurity? No, but at the moment it's been a good band-aid for many years for folks to um, have access to very nutritious and highly desirable products. Um, hopefully we can make policy change around poverty and um, helping folks be able to access their own food um, and break that cycle of needing a food bank. Most food banks missions are to actually go out of business one day um, because the goal is to end poverty and not continue to um, have to operate in that space. But for now, food banks are, are rescuing food, you know, using a variety of different strategies. But I'd say the biggest is you know, grocery rescue. So picking up from those retailers, like um, we've mentioned in the past, Kroger is really big on zero waste, zero hunger, or zero hunger, zero waste. And, and they are a big partner of Feeding America, as well as Walmart and Target and Save Mart, Food Lion, lots of uh, organizations are partnered with Feeding America that then work with the local food banks in their network to pick up the product um, from those grocery stores. They also partner with distribution centers and manufacturers like uh, General Mills and Kellogg and Campbell's. And so then you get larger donations of bulk product often at food banks because of those. And then in the last few years, um, Feeding America has been trying to break more into the prepared food space as well, since there is some, there's, as we've talked, you know, restaurant food waste and catering food waste is a, is an area that's harder to rescue, but is still in need because food is still going to waste there. So they've developed an app called Meal Connect, which helps connect businesses uh, to the food banks to help pick up leftover food. It's, um, it's a really interesting uh, model. Uh, food banks fascinate me um, because uh, they are covering so much space as it um, in the sustainability field. And I, mm -hmm. I think that just most people don't, most people aren't clear on what a food bank is. So mm -hmm. I will really quickly say that a food bank is different from a food pantry, your pantry. Um, in some cases, food banks do host pantries on site, um, or they'll do mobile pantry pop-up, um, or mobile feeding in general. Uh, but, 
a food bank more specifically is think of them as like the Amazon warehouse of food. So they're bringing in food, like Kat said, from many different places. They're also purchasing a lot of food. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they're shipping it out to their partners. So for example, um, a food bank could be partnered with like over 300 agencies and most of them are doing the direct service. So pantries, soup kitchens, group homes, uh, clinic sites, schools, um, as I mentioned, like mobile sites. So uh, there's lots of space for waste and collection of food waste. And then also um, similar to how we spoke in an earlier episode, episode about the impact that um, major grocery manufacturer grocery retail stores are trying to make on both their suppliers and their customers. Uh, food banks really have the opportunity um, and in some cases are really trying to uh, make a difference around education um, at the supplier level of their waste um, by providing them with um, information around the types of product that is being donated and also um, how much of it is um, not actually making it to the end client, uh, like how much is being generated waste-wise before it gets there from leaving the store, and then also um, education to their clients um, that are utilizing their food source, food resources. So education around like code dating, uh, education around uh, how to use uh, the product that they're receiving. Um, a lot of the ways that food is recovered from uh, like retailers and then distributed into clients' hands uh, involves uh, less like bulk product. So um, when you go to a grocery store and you do food recovery at a food bank level, the chances of you getting like 300 loaves of bread uh, to hand out that are all the same to all the same clients is pretty low. And so you're going to get variety. You're going to get items that people have never used before, items that they're unfamiliar with. And so to help prevent waste at the actual um, consumer level, there's a lot of new nutrition education and education around what to do with that product. So, um, yeah, like I said, food banking can have a huge impact on sustainability and food waste. And it's just not, they don't get the cred that they should in that space. Mm-mm. They really don't, you know, the, and because it is a secondary unspoken mission of most food banks, because of course the first mission is to feed communities and end hunger but it is, there's a big intersection between climate and food insecurity and poverty. And I think food banks have really been at the forefront of that without anyone really knowing or realizing that they're in that space, because particularly in the 1960s, like sustainability wasn't talked about. It was more like, whoa, food is being wasted. It needs to go to communities. And then now as we're seeing food is having such a big impact on climate and, um, you know, releasing greenhouse gases, there's the model for reducing food waste and making an impact on climate change has been there for years, but unseen and unnoticed and often unthanked. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to highlight a food bank, but there's definitely lots out there that are um, majority focused on um, food waste and its impact as opposed to having it be um, further down the scale of what they're doing. So um, the first one I'm going to talk about is Forgotten Harvest in Michigan. Um, So they are a food bank that's been around for 
uh, just over 30 years. Um, they started in uh, Metro Detroit, just rescuing food surpluses from grocery stores. Um, then it kind of expanded to markets. Now it's restaurants, caterers, and even more. Um, and so they do it all free of charge. So as Kat mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, most of these uh, services are happening for free and um, they are happening at large scales at the same ways that, um, you know, waste management is charging. So, uh, there's a lot of interesting thoughts around charging for food recovery too, that I, um, would suggest all of you look into and think about in case it ever came up to, at a Thanksgiving dinner or something. <laughs> um, but forgotten harvest, um, gets all of their food from food rescue. And then they also, have now started, um, a farm. So they're supplementing some of the product they're getting in through, um, rescue with forgotten harvest farms where they grow all of their own fresh produce. And they also use that as an educational tool, but, um, that food is then all, uh, rescued and delivered to different agencies throughout Metro Detroit. And so just as an example, um, every, every day they're recovering over 138,000 pounds of food. They do, they run food rescue seven days a week. Um, and last year they, um, they rescued and redistributed, uh, 40, just over 46 million pounds of food. Um, and so, yeah, so that, and like I said, that that's their entire food source is the farm and, uh, rescue and redistribution where lots of food banks, it's a small portion of what they do because they have all of those other sources of food, but forgotten harvest is mostly, um, rescued food, uh, supplemented with produce. Um, so they also rely heavily on volunteers. So they had, uh, 54,000, uh, hours of volunteer services, um, helping to sort and then get that food out. But yeah, so that's just one, um, I definitely recommend looking into like city harvest, especially if you want to look for cool marketing around, uh, food rescue and, um, food waste education. Uh, feeding San Diego is also a really good one. They supplement their, uh, rescued food with about 4% of purchase product as well. Um, and I, I will say that food banks are community, so they're working together. So in most cases, when there's a food bank that's relying solely on rescued food or a large portion of rescued food, there's another food bank nearby that's also helping to support agencies with those like stable products that they're purchasing or getting in through um, other resources. So it's pretty, it's a pretty cool system. Um, I think I'm going to say it like multiple times in this episode, but I really recommend like just digging into some food bank stuff or like going to visit a food bank. Um, cause volunteering they, at a food oh, bank, yeah, volunteering and then maybe donating. Yeah. Um, but everything that they do is, um, is really interesting and it's really a look at like kind of the food system as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at a, t- on a small, much smaller level, it is like its own supply chain, right? Like the food banks and they work together and there's so many opportunities to, yeah, just connect with food banks and learn how you can be involved. Some have junior boards where they want young people to participate in the process or a, or a normal board because most of them are nonprofits. So you could join the board and help influence or volunteer. And, you know, food banks are really doing work that again goes unnoticed and is kind of behind the scenes with the exception of this last year they really brought into the spotlight but 
it's, it's amazing the amount of food that's recovered, the amount of food that's distributed with often very limited resources. And so just, you know, big shout out to, to our food bank families and uh, yeah. Yeah. And as I mentioned, food banks uh, have a tendency to like to work together. Um, so most states have some version of a food bank association. I would say the exception is like states that are covered by one food bank. Um, because I will say Feeding America covers every county. Um, their network of food banks uh, cover every county in the United States, uh, including uh, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and Alaska. So um, there's a food bank covering your county wherever you're located and listening right now. Um, but in some cases, there's tons of food banks in a specific region. And so they come together and create a food bank association or a state association. And then that state association, in some cases, also plays a role in reducing food waste. So um, in California, we have the California Association of Food Banks. Um, they work with 41 member food banks. So that actually includes some food banks that aren't currently members of Feeding America, because um, there's just rogue food banks out there doing it themselves too, without the umbrella of Feeding America. So um, those 41 are members of CAFB. And California Association of Food Bank actually does a lot of food rescuing themselves. So in uh, 2005, they started the Farm to Families program, which delivers over 160 million pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables annually to those food banks throughout the state. Um, so it started um, as a way to reduce food waste um, at the grower level and the uh, kind of like processor or the the produce processing, like where bulk produce goes um, to kind of get sorted out. So it, it's a food rescue at those levels. So like fruits and vegetables that might not be making the um, grades to be considered like grocery or maybe they're um, citrus that would be considered juicing citrus and there's surpluses of those kind of things. Um, those are instead now getting rescued um, from farm to families, and at least in California, which we know is heavy in produce. Um, and getting then redistributed back to food banks um, to get to their end user. It's reducing uh, food waste and getting quality produce that may be not to the quality that you or I consider, or it would be fine for us, but to a grocery store, it'd be like, oh, no, 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 there's a blemish on this apple. It's helpful to also provide some funding for farmers. So um, farmers are eligible not only for 15% tax credit, but there's also sometimes a, a pick and pack fee um, so that they can um, they don't have to worry about the costs associated with um, getting that product off of their farm. Um, but also it's not coming to the food bank at a cost that's uh, too high as if they were like purchasing the produce naturally. They uh, farm to families team at the California Association of Food Banks handles all the like logistics. They help to work with food banks um, to con control kind of the flow of the product. Um, and it also helps to keep um, a reliable source of produce. So uh, food banks in most cases really like to provide um, higher quality items um, that are more nutritionally valuable to the clients and the end users. And so that requires a lot of produce to be mixed in with the types of shelf stable items that we're able to purchase. So um, by having this program um, run by the CAFB, um, we're less likely to kind of, our food banks are less likely to have to worry about, um, you know, like 
are we going to get potatoes in? Like, do we need to be purchasing those? We kind of, they have a better idea of it's going to be rotating in and when it's going to be coming. Um, and it also creates kind of a, a beautiful little network. Um, so CAFB works with more than 240 farmers, packers, and distributors each year. So um, they kind of have their own little network um, in addition to what's going on at the recovery space. It's amazing. Like the impact that's happening to provide an extra life for farmers products so they don't have to till it into the ground. It's going to food banks again that it's providing really healthy, nutritious, wonderful product that for whatever reason is just small or weird looking. So it can't go to the grocery store, but it's delicious in every way as if you would have bought it from the grocery store. So food banks are doing a lot. They're doing a lot of work in the food recovery rescue space. Yeah. And, you know, to get all that work done, they really need coffee. And um, my recipe today is a, is a result. Oh, oh, sorry. Is a result of making my own coffee. Ooh. It is with a jingle. La, 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 la. Boop, boop, coffee. Ooh, that's fresh. <laughs> I'm shocked to hear you have a coffee recipe. You're not a big coffee drinker. Well, I will say so. Um, background, uh, my partner drinks a lot of coffee. Um, he's a big coffee head. And um, he, I recently used a little bit of sweetened condensed milk to make some cookies. And he started putting it in his coffee. And now it's become kind of his thing ah. uh, to put a little bit of sweetened condensed milk in his coffee. So, um, because of this, we often have sweet and condensed milk in our fridge. And, um, I recently have discovered that there, it sits there for a while. So, um, I, I found a little bit that, uh, was left at the bottom and I was like, what can I do with just a little bit of sweet and condensed milk? Cause he makes full pitchers of coffee. And mm. so I know that it's going to be at least a week until we need the sweet and condensed milk again. And, uh, just the idea of it sitting in my fridge and then also like, leaching away from the can stressed me out. So I started thinking there's a lot of obvious things you can do with sweet and condensed milk. You know, you can bake, like I said, I made cookies earlier. Uh, you can use it in, uh, like key lime pie, like all of those traditional things, uh, tres leches cake. Um, you can use it to sweeten, um, Vietnamese iced tea or coffee. Um, can you make caramel tea. with it? Yeah. Yeah but I, I went on the hunt. Like, what else can I do? Cause those all seem like a lot of work. I don't want to do a lot of work. I just want to use up the sweet and condensed milk. So, um, food 52, my, one of my favorite blogs of all time. Uh, they did an article on like ways you can reuse, uh, sweet and condensed milk. So some of the highlights they suggested were drizzling it over fresh fruit. Um, so it brings out like the tanginess with like balancing it sweet similar to like when you put like yogurt honey dip with, um, with your produce, uh, you can substitute half of the milk that you use when making cornbread with sweet and condensed milk. Um, it'll add like a subtle sweetness to the cornbread. And then there's also, um, a version of Puerto Rican eggnog that mm. uses sweet and condensed milk and coconut milk, which sounds really cool, but very heavy because it's been very hot in California and it does not sound like uh, eggnog season. Actually, I decided to make condensed milk butter. At my house, we are in the process of making uh, mini chicken and waffle sliders. 
And, um, you know, most people put like a maple butter or something with that. And I was like, Hey, no sweet and condensed milk butter. So, um, you just blend, um, four ounces of, uh, unsalted butter, um, whatever sweet and condensed milk amount you have left over, um, less than a full can though. I would not recommend the full one or up your butter, a fourth of a cup of powdered sugar. Um, I'm going to, or I did less because, um, I'm not a big sweets person. Um, and then just sprinkle in salt, beat that in your KitchenAid or your hand mixer, or if your butter's soft enough by hand. And there you go. It's going to in your fridge for a few days. You could put it on toast. You could put it on your own version of chicken and waffle sliders. You can put it on basically anything. If you wanted to make a donut burger, now's the time it's mm-hmm. summer put it on your donut burger, your pancakes, your pancake. Yeah. Literally anything, but it's a great way to get it out of the fridge, out of the can and provide a little, uh, sweetness to your traditional butter needs. Nice. That's a very, I wouldn't, I was not expecting you to go there. That's a great idea. So, and then particularly when you have such a small amount, it's hard to always think what you can do with it and you could, you could make it and put it in the freezer and then it would be good for, you know, later if you don't have a chicken and waffle event coming up, you can pop it in the freezer and, and make them later. That's a beautiful idea. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Use it in baking. You can mm-hmm. put that butter in there somewhere. Yeah. There's, I mean, compound butters, there's so much you can do there. But uh, today I'm only talking about the sweet condensed milk version. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, check out the recipe on two girls talking trash.com and our Instagram, two girls talking trash with the number two. We can't wait to um, see what you're putting sweet and condensed milk butter into. And until we hear from you again, have a wonderful day.